But We're Alive by Doris Seguie. How I nearly died at 4.34pm on a very ordinary Tuesday. As a child growing up by the edge of the sea, I used to wonder about the people who managed to drown. I'd wonder how anyone could be frightened enough of the water to panic and sink instead of simply floating until help came. This was a basic lesson I had learned early. I'd wonder why people, good and poor swimmers alike, would wander into heavy surf and allow themselves to be pounded into the sand or carried out to sea. Drowning seemed a ridiculous and unnecessary way to die. On Tuesday, September 20, 1966, I learned that there is no special trick to drowning. Anyone can do it. Even a strong swimmer like myself, with years of ocean experience, can do it. On that afternoon, at 4.34, I came within a breath of it. Rust has fixed the hands of my watch at that time. My watch cannot be repaired, and I wouldn't want it to be. I want to remember that day. There were three of us. Don Horan and Jess Paley, from a television production firm in New York City, had flown out to California that morning to scout locations for a film they were planning. Through a mutual friend, I had offered to show them some beaches near my home. Although we had only just met, we soon drifted into an easy, relaxed relationship. Our spirits were high when, a little after four o'clock, we found the beach that seemed perfect for the film. Sunlight blazed on the rolling surf. There were no swimmers, and only a few people sat along the wide expanse of pink-gold sand. Gulls swooped and settled along the ocean's edge. Just offshore stood an impressive mass of black rocks, and occasionally a wave would hit the base of these and send up a tower of foam. If I'd been thinking, and not simply enjoying the scene, I would have recognised the unmistakable signs of high tide. I missed them all. We parked the car near the base of a large, flat-topped cliff whose appearance intrigued us. Its chocolate-brown sides soared straight up from the shore, and its wide, flat face was squared off to the sea. We decided to walk along the front of it and see what lay beyond. Laughing at how ridiculous we looked in our street clothes, we moved in single file across the wet sand. Some 45 metres separated the base of the cliff from the edge of the sea. Enough, we thought, or did we think, for walking. Suddenly, Jess, ahead of us, stopped to remove his shoes, and I noticed with a rushing sense of danger that the rocks were wet to a point well above his head. I was just about to mention it when time ran out. We all saw the big wave foaming towards us at the same time. There was no place to run, so we drew back against the rock. Instinctively, to cut resistance, I turned my body sideways. The wave caught me with unbelievable force as it went under me, rode straight up the rock and fell back on itself. Suddenly I was being turned and twisted and thrown down again and again. Within moments I was far out in deep water. Other waves added to the rolling, boiling turmoil. I felt the stinging salt of the water as it entered my nose and throat. Something heavy, kelp, wrapped around my legs and feet, pulling me down. I tried to kick away the dragging weight, but it stayed with me, tormenting me. Occasionally my head would break through to the surface, and for a brief moment I could breathe. Once I came up facing the cliff and saw that it was a long way off. In the ever-changing turbulence, I couldn't swim. The best I could manage was an attempt to tread water, to conserve my strength 
and keep my head above the waves. I concentrated on relaxing, hoping that new waves would push me towards shore. Then I looked up and saw a huge wave rising and felt the outward dragging and lowering of the water that always precedes such waves. In the next instant I was being shoved ahead of the wave as it sped towards shore. Surely I would be dashed to pieces against the cliff. Mercifully, the wave took me only to a point just short of the beach. Don was standing in the surf close by. His hand reached towards me. I wanted to shout, Don't! You'll be pulled out too! But there was no need, for I felt myself moving, with incredible swiftness, back into deep water. The wave that had carried me almost to safety was now removing me from it with its backwash. I lost sight of Don. Again there was the helpless turning and twisting, the gasping for air, the weight at my legs. Once more I was delivered nearly to the beach and snatched away. It came to me, with shocking clarity, that I was hopelessly trapped. I couldn't get out of the breakers, either onto the beach or into the relative calm beyond the surf. I was going to die. I saw my handbag floating over a wave and thought, if I could only catch it when it comes this way. Then I realised that I had no further need of it. I thought of my husband Bill and of how much I loved him. When had I last told him so? Who would meet his six o'clock train? When would he know what had become of me? All thought was halted by an enormous wave that broke directly over my head. I recall little else. Once I heard someone shout, Hold on, I've got you! But it sounded far away and strange, and I felt no hand on mine. The wave had brought me directly to Don, he told me afterwards. He clutched my hand, but it was completely lifeless and slipped from his as the surf tore me back into deep water. He thought I was dead. Suddenly, incredibly, I found myself face down on the beach, half in and half out of the water. Someone called, Run! There's time! Don crawled to me, grabbed my hand and fell to the sand at my side. I tried to get up, but couldn't even raise my head. I heard waves crashing behind me and knew that within moments I would be swept into the sea for the final time. All my will, all my hope, went into the effort to rise from the sand. But I could not move. Then Jess was there, a shadowy figure over us. Somehow he got Don to his feet, and the two of them managed to pull me up. Stumbling, falling, crawling, we fought to get beyond the rocks. It was a slow-motion nightmare, an eternity before we fell in a sodden heap onto the safe, dry sand. We stayed that way for a long time, holding silently to one another, unwilling and unable to let go. Suddenly we were all talking at once, with breath we couldn't spare, saying foolish, obvious things. We counted our losses. My handbag, Don's wallet. It was too soon to state the truth. We'd been careless, had suffered for it, and only a miracle had put the three of us back on the beach. Yes, we counted what we'd lost, and each account invariably ended with, but we're alive. People, many of them now, were standing over us. We were told that we had been carried far out. One man said, Only a fool would go in front of that cliff at high tide. High tide! I, raised at the edge of the ocean, had not even noticed. Another man said, I live over in that cottage. I've seen a lot of people caught where you were. Most of them don't make it back, even after they're dead. Finally, we were able to stand and compare experiences. 
Don had been thrown against the rock by the first wave, hitting his head. He had been carried into the breakers twice. Jess, luckily, had been pulled in only once, and so it was his greater strength that eventually had drawn us to safety. My sturdy wool suit testified to the might of the ocean and the action of the sand. It was riddled with holes, the hem torn and hanging nearly to my ankles. For several days afterwards, I slept very little. My body was bruised and aching, my mind restless. I thought again and again of how it had begun, the foolish way we walked in there, leaving ourselves no avenue of escape. I thought of the many times in my life when, with no fear of the ocean's power, I had put myself in equal jeopardy in not being caught. Those days are over. In the future I will swim and live with new respect for the forces of nature. Since that Tuesday, many wonderful things have come to me. I have seen, with my eyes and my spirit, sunsets such as I've never seen before. I have heard Chopin played by a 15-year-old genius. I have burnt my tongue with steaming black coffee. I have heard people talking and laughing. I have watched the long grasses bend in the wind, a tear on a baby's cheek. I have looked into my husband's eyes and told him of my love for him, and his eyes have returned that love. And always I realised that in one careless moment I nearly gave up all these things. Because I came so close to losing them, I can never again take them for granted. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price.